This evening, <laughs> the subject of the talk is uh, on contact. Contact. Look at contact this evening together. When we give uh, consideration to the circumstances of life, we are often uh, frequently concerned with contact. That when we live in this uh, everyday world as we do, it's what impacts on us which becomes important for us. What actually influences us? And we see that in the course of our life, certain events, certain experiences have stood out quite strongly for us and the impact of those experiences has helped shape the way we are, who we think we are. And we see too that the field of experiences seems to fall into three major areas and each one of them mutually supportive, mutually de dependent and interrelated one of them, of course, are painful experiences. We've made contact with something, someone, situation, and out of that contact, uh, painful circumstances have arisen for us. And we face them, whether we like it or not. In other situations, the experience is, we might call it neutral. Not pleasurable, not painful, but somewhere in between these two forms of experience in which it hasn't had any, it seems not to have had any effect on us, hasn't been of any real interest or concern to us, and there's a certain neutrality, you might call it, of experience, but it too can have its effect. And sometimes we say we have been somewhere, we've had a conversation with somebody, we've had a meditation, and we say, well, it wasn't one thing or the other, it was just an ordinary, instantly forgettable, nothing special, nothing experienced. We might put all of that w into the language of uh, not painful, not pleasurable. Sometimes, too, in the impact of the world that we live in, we also experience the pleasant experiences and the intensification of pleasurable experience. So our life, and what's important for our life, it would appear to be dealing and coping with pain, <coughs> accepting and accommodating the neutral experiences of life, the neutral feelings, that go on in our day-to-day -day life and giving support, if not strengthening, the, the pleasurable experiences of life. And when we actually look at ourselves and look at our relationship to life, both past, present and future, we notice in varying ways to varying degrees that much of the preoccupation is around getting rid of the painful and securing the pleasurable getting rid of the unsatisfactory and pursuing the satisfactory. 
And this becomes our life. This becomes what existence is. We look around in our world and it would seem like that not only human beings but the creatures of the earth and in the water seem to have the same kind of uh, basic interest, the same as it were instinct for the pursuit of what is pleasurable and satisfactory and the avoidance of pain and what is unsatisfactory. It becomes our life, our way of being. Sometimes we want to measure that. And we say to ourselves, in a very general way, when I look at my life and the years of my existence, what would I say of myself in those kind of categories? Do I think of my life as being essentially a pleasurable experience? That I've had a lot of delight and pleasure running through my life and that has been the main thread of my life? And some will say yes with uh, strong affirmation to that. Others will say, when I look at my life from way back until the present time, it seems to have been characterized with a lot of pain and unhappiness and difficulty and struggle. But that seems to be much of my life with occasional interludes with breaks of some pleasure and happiness. But for the most part it seems to have been a, a hard road to walk along. And others may say, and as you look at yourself, may say, well, well, look at it, life just seems to be what it is. There's nothing particularly exciting about it, nothing particularly painful about it, nothing particularly pleasurable. It just, you know, we go on from one day to the next and hope that we don't have too much pain in this world and get on with it as best we can. And perhaps at times we have uh, exuded, exerted, every one of these views but each one of the views interrelated and interdependent and one of the factors of the interdependence is we're talking about how we feel we're talking about how we feel about life in a general way and it seems and how is it that we want to pursue, as a natural organic wish, we might say, what secure more pleasurable feelings in life, to have more delight in life and uh, greater levels of happiness and joy and serenity and uh, humour and delight and to feel the play of life, the leela of life, as they will say in India. And we want to feel more of that. And we seem to want to organise, in a way, our life and our activities to try to secure it as much as possible. But how come that the very effort and the willpower to maximize the pleasurable sensation seems to intensify the painful? What is it that goes on that the more we pursue one thing, the more it seems that lurking in the background is the shadow of the pain? And we, our uh, culture, Somebody once commented, oh, the only culture we find in the West these days is in the refrigerator. But anyway, so sometimes you say of our, <laughs> sorry, the, uh, these one-liners you know, just slip out and really, uh, I'm incurable. So sometimes 
we, we look at her in a general way at our society, and it seems to be the constant effort through numerous ways to maximise pleasure. All sorts of ways to maximise pleasure, and when we look around, we see, goodness me, there is so much pain. And that all the pleasure in the world doesn't seem to be diminishing the pain in the world, it seems to be intensifying it. And sometimes we look and we say, God, the very pursuit of some of the pleasures I have in life sometimes seems to be at the expense of others, near or far. And it's not easy living with, facing, going into the field of pleasure and pain, but spiritual life says, let's do it. Let's go into the field of pleasure and pain and the relationship to that, and perhaps we can discover something else of a different order. But if we take, take uh, pain for a moment. There's a kind of process which goes on with ourselves. And that process needs a contact. If you just think about your day-to-day -day and, and any uh, particular experience which stands out for you today. That experience which stands out you today may be an event of the past, an event of the present, here and now today, or with regard to an anticipated one. In either case, whether past, present or future, there has been a movement inside of us, we might say, and a contact has been made. It could be a contact with the memory, a contact with the knee, a contact with a thought of the future, and that contact, in the moment of contact, through the senses, or through a memory, or through a thought of the future, in that moment of contact, it generates a feeling. One can't have a contact without the stimulation, the touch of a feeling in life. And sometimes what we have noticed, that that contact and that touch of that feeling does, because of life the way it works, keeps repeating itself. It keeps repeating itself. So there's a contact, there is a feeling, it repeats itself, and quite often there is a desire to repeat it. Even the painful, there is a desire to repeat it. And so we say, or if we th think of a memory, and there's been a memory, there has been a, a, a painful memory has arisen, so there's a, a contact with the past, and we have some feelings of which are arising there, and we say, oh, these painful feelings which are arising in me from the past are because of what has happened in the past. We say, I made contact with the memory, I made contact with something that happened to me yesterday or last year or when I was a, a little baby or whatever, and now those feelings are affecting me. And, they, and, and I feel sad, I feel guilty, I feel unhappy, I feel cute, uh, abused, I feel despairing, I feel worried, or whatever. All the variety of emotion that can occur and does occur when there is memory, may not be with any content, but a kind of memory and a feeling of association and pain that goes with it. And we sometimes we imagine, rather falsely perhaps, that what we are experiencing is directly from what came 
from what happened. And we forget that what happened is related to how you are feeling today. How you experience it today. You can't have an objective past. You can't have an independent, separate past which can come exclusively into a pure, empty present. Because the past meets the present as you are. And that past, so to speak, meeting the present as you are, produces contacts. And it generates the feeling. The feeling is how it is now, how it was, and the contact produces the feeling. It's not a pure pain feeling from the past entering into the present. Because the present is you, or it's me, and how I am today. My experience of today, all of that relates to the old. Therefore, the experience of the past is neither purely subjective, I don't create it, neither is it purely objective. It's just that movement that goes on. But unfortunately, the desire, one may say to oneself, I must let this go. It's been lingering around in my life for so long, and we hear the rhetoric in the spiritual world do much of letting go. It's a, a, we need to perhaps let go of letting go. We make so much of this, and hardly a day goes by in my life when I don't hear L-E-T-G-O. It's a more successful mantra than the Maharishis produced. And this idea of letting go, say, with painful past, it seems appropriate, it seems reasonable to do. But who does it? How is it that we say the thought can say, the idea can say to let go of the old painful feeling? Because sometimes there is the sheer potency, not of a real conscious desire to get back involved in the past, but perhaps sometimes it is more that there is some habit moving in that direction. Habit meeting with the old, contact producing feeling, feeling producing, God, I'm reliving this all over again. I'm having to go through all this all over again. And it's not surprising that we hear in the contemporary world so much of these explorations of what is called the shadow. So if we look at ourselves and we say, yes, there has been pain in the, in the past and I'm experiencing it in some way or other and though my heart's wish, my head's wish is to actually let go but it's, um, it's not fading away, it's not letting go does it mean then, therefore, that we might explore another kind of relationship to looking at what was? What will help us to show what was? Was. What was? What will help us to show that this which is old can be accommodated this evening? What will help to show that? And I think sometimes, instead of using the language of the rhetoric, let go as one form, another favorite in the Buddhist tradition is uh, seeing impermanence. Another one is everything is rising and falling, 
or whatever. Sometimes those reminders do make a difference to a person, obviously, do contribute significantly. But with emotional life and the deep touch of emotional life, sometimes you and I, we could say that morning, noon and night, and it won't do us, make a thing of difference. What will help us to be at peace with the past? And it's not for people like me to sit here and then suddenly say, well, the old methods don't work, but this evening I'm going to give you a new method. This evening I'm going to give you such a nice method that within a couple of sits you'll have such peace with the, <laughs> peace with the past there that uh, you won't have to look at your knees ever again. Sometimes we see with the question, the deeper questions of life, that we can't provide a formula. One can't say what, the, what that answer actually is. And I say, and I have said on many occasions, find the right question, discover what the right question is, and the answer which makes the difference is it will come to you. And sometimes the possibility is that that right question might be for some people. What will contribute to me being at peace with the past? What will show that? What will help to actualize that in very, very practi practical and beneficial terms? And I say if one asks carefully and sensitively and deeply and looks and looks into, into that, then something can flower from it. Can we be at peace with our past, no matter how painful it might be? Some of you today, for those who are rather uh, new to the meditator's world, um, may have given up today all hope of life outside of one's knees that it's a remarkable capacity in meditation for the knees to be one of the most um, talked about themes in the world and again sometimes the pain which arises there in the knees it pulls on the attention the back pulls on the attention in that we focus on that and get involved in all of that, and then there's naturally the wish to say, to escape from. So when one is looking at a painful situation in one's life, it's not easy for there to be the staying power to stay with that. One wishes to move away from. Self-knowledge is knowing where you go. Where does one go? What's the typical thing when you're faced with pain, and you don't like it, you don't want it, you don't want to have to deal with it, what's the typical thing that you do? That typical thing is called a pattern, it's called a conditioning, it's called a habit or whatever. That taking you away from what doesn't put the fire out. Where, what happens to your mind when you're faced with something difficult? Some it's control. It's sheer bloody control. What? What is it? I'm going to. I have to control this 
issue. For another person, it's fighting this issue, whatever it is. For another person, it's it's the hair standing straight on end and incredible confusion. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Panic waves rush, rushing through like a swamp inside. Another person, it says, anything else but give me the tablets. <laughs> um, uh, put so much rice on the bowl at 12.30 that one's barely got the strength to carry it to the sitting place. <laughs> so common view is just filling it all up inside. There's too much pain, there's too much difficulty, so just swamp. For another person, it's um, running around and asking anybody who might uh, have the time to listen, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Do you know the answer? Please tell me the answer. And one is running, running around this way. What's the typical things we do when we deal with pain? And some, as I mentioned briefly last night, is just to throw the flack out everywhere. Everywhere. Blame anybody everywhere. Like the young guy who, on the road, I remember this years and years and years ago, sometimes this little story sticking in one's mind, he's on the road. And he carried with him uh, rolls and rolls of film which he had taken, his camera, his slides, hundreds of them, etc. And while on the road, and it's not unusual anywhere in the world, his baggage and his stuff disappeared on the train where else it's a popular place for magic and <laughs> this, this disappearance of that of course the frustration and the disappointment so there had been the contact there had been the feeling of pleasure and satisfaction that he'd be able to show his trip his travels to his friends when he went back home, etc., etc. Even though, as we know, those who have ever taken any, any slides, <laughs> you know, whoever gets them out of the box? Have you ever thought about it? You, 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 I don't want to go off on a, on a ramble. Mary says I shouldn't do it too much. That, that one takes all these slides, one has them, and one has one quick peep at the, through a little box. Oh, I've got the good guy, like that. And then they lie there for decades. <laughs> so nevertheless, this person's uh, relationship was more short-lived. And everything passed, lost, lost it all. And it's rather unfortunate and uh, situation when that happens. But what was the outcome? The very thing which had given in this case, him pleasure of taking and securing and recalling and, and having and possessing became intensified with incredible pain because of the loss. What was the wisdom lacking in the pleasure? The wisdom which matters more than all that pleasurable feeling and sensation born of the contact with the slides and the contact with memory of the places that he had been to. What was the wisdom lacking there? And out of that, there was so much anger and so much negativity and so much resentment 
He said, I'll never go to India again. I'm never going to come to this part of the world. The whole country is nothing but a bunch of thieves, etc. Whoa, my humble. So all from, all, all from one little uh, event, mine spinning in fury, blaming, 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 nationalism, racism, pouring out of the human being based on one single event. Sometimes, you know, that one single event, small event, difficult, painful, one accepts that, it can lead to a lifetime of racism. One thing in a person's life, in a vulnerable point in their life, can lead to a lifetime of, of, of destructive, harmful, crude, gross, violent consequences from one thing. Perhaps I'm not saying in this person, we hope that this person recovered from that and just saw that there was one individual who uh, stole his baggage on that train. So the, it, the contact with the immediate experience of pain, the feeling that comes from that contact, the loss in some cases um, of that contact, what happens after that? What happens after that in the spiritual life matters as much as that event itself. What happens after the loss, after the change, in how we relate to that matters as much as the event itself. Because what, ma what comes after is not separate from the event. It's all flowing in there together. What is the wisdom that acknowledges life as it is? And therefore, seeing without pain. Can we discover without pain? <coughs> Sometimes in the relationship to the present. Of course, I focused a little bit on pain uh, uh, this, this evening, but others also today will have been doing the same. Sometimes, too, we begin to form, as part of that residue which concerns me so much, this residue of painful feeling from contact. And anything which you have regular contact with, whoever it is, whatever it is, wherever it is, however it is, whenever it is, wherever is that frequency of contact which is producing for you a feeling in your heart of hearts, can you say, I am wise in the face of this circumstance? doesn't matter one iota whether you have been in a relationship, for example, with somebody for many, many years. It doesn't matter at all if, if that contact has been relatively brief, but it's got a lot of intensity to it, which can happen. Are you wise in the face of that situation, long-term or short-term? Intense or gradual but frequent. What is it to be wise there? To, to, be, to be wise, there is a knowing in that wisdom. Very important, this Buddha spoke whole life spent on these things, remember. That this, there is a knowing in that wisdom that that contact with whatever it is may not ever reoccur again. Are we willing to dig so deep inside of us in life, so deep, 
that in the depth of that digging, in that exploration, there can be a wisdom which in the very heart of that wisdom says, that which I am in contact with, that contact may never reappear in this universe ever again. In this life ever again, in this world ever again. One is clear, so clear about that. What the difference it would make to the quality of that contact. Who of us would then take anybody in this world for granted? Take any possession for granted? Take any situation for granted? Because one knows in the wisdom of that knowing it may be the last time. And one wants to live on that kind of edge with life. Not a, a sloppy, indifferent, pathetic, habitual, mechanical, conditioned life of taking anything and everybody for granted because life refuses to cooperate with such an individual and one might say an individual suffers mercilessly for living like that. Taking things for granted and anybody for granted and all the ensuing pain that can come because of the habitual act activities of the mind. The nature punished, not punished, nature impacts on human beings for that, not a punishment, but impacts, and that impacts we call suffering, because we have imagined something which is not in the nature of things, and that is continuity of what we like, of what we want, of what or who we feel connected with. And sometimes you know, there's a wonderful possibility that we can, in the immediacy of the here and now, we can see this so clearly that the fictionalized account of the world, of anything and anybody, is dissolved in that immediacy of knowing. And therefore the suffering goes with it. There cannot be suffering in this world without contact. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, God, that life sounds a bit grim if you keep talking like that. <laughs> and it would be a fair enough uh, comment. But then let us take interest and notice of the, also the pleasurable experiences of life. And in a day like today, one can come to the end of the day at 9.30 in the evening and, one, and the thought can arise, Some people have said you know, that being on a meditation retreat for the first time, and particularly on the first or second day, shows to them that they've just gone through the longest day of their life. And one ought to, in a way, feel rather happy about it. We're always complaining how li short life is. <laughs> So when one is in the middle of a sitting meditation and one has realized that there's a clock on the wall up there. You know, at first when I was sitting here the first few days of the retreat and occasionally looking out, I thought, God, there's a lot of people with a creek in their neck <laughs> switching up there to have a quick look. And the whole peace of mind becomes dependent on where those numbers are and those bits of metal to them 
And so sometimes halfway or two-thirds of the way, those of you over there won't know anything about this. <laughs> those of you, those who are halfway or two-thirds of the way through the course of the, of the sitting may think, my God, there's another 15 or 20, 20 minutes to go. And it's often I've noticed that, that people on retreats, particularly the atheists amongst you, start praying during the sitting. <laughs> praying for the end of the retreat. Many people on retreats have started believing in Allah after a sitting. <laughs> so, <laughs> this isn't a bad idea. So sometimes there is this space, and in this space there is, some, there is this waiting. And then how long is it going to go on for? And then things seem to be going by so terribly, terribly slowly. And one's, and one's whole focus in life is to reach the end of time. One wants to reach the end of time time. But the movement of the mind into the living presence, the habit of the mind in the living presence says, I want to reach the, the end of time. And there is a waiting and the end of time is, of course, end of sitting time. One goes to uh, lie down at night after a full day here or elsewhere. And one's greatest interest in the moment of lying down to go to sleep is what is to end the whole construction of the day, the formation of the day. And sometimes a person is lying there in a horizontal posture and a thought is arising, I can't get to sleep, why can't I get to, to sleep? And the whole focus is to end all that is going on. In one's thought, in one's mood, in one's feeling, in, in whatever is around, because one has such a deep interest in getting into sleep, getting out of time. We have an interest day to day in our life in seeing the end of time and the end of the formation of time. The end of the formation and what we're involved in in that particular time. And if you don't believe me, just keep on sitting here after Shard and Norman and I have long uh, disappeared to other climates. I promise you there will be a point where your major interest in life is to end the posture, end that period of time and get out of it. So there is this interest, but the interest through the habit and the conditioning keeps relying upon the relative world to end time and the formations of time. We are sincerely interested in this to discover what is timeless because in what is timeless is the end of suffering, the end of the pain. And in a remarkable way, the end of the contact, which is mystical. Once a person said to me, came on a retreat, and she said, I don't want to end the pain. She said, I have, she said suffering is part of life. It belongs to life. We all, everybody suffers. And she said, I, why, do I, why, would, why do I want to end suffering? She said, it, it, I experience suffering, it comes and it goes in my life and then it ends and I get over it and perhaps I learn something from it, then I go on. And she was you know, very, very convinced. So I said to her when she was telling me this, 
you know, right now, are you suffering? She says, no, no, fine, the retreat's going well, it's nice, happy to, to, be, to be here, etc. And I said, well, your comment at the moment, to me, it's an intellectual idea. To me, at the moment, you tell me you're happy, you're content, you're relaxed. At the moment, it's, uh, you're not speaking out of experience, you're speaking with your head, you're philos philosophizing about life. You go, temperature went up. <laughs> Didn't want to. She said, no, it's true, it's true, I know it is true. Suffering is a part of life, and, and trying to get rid of suffering is, is going against life. People have to stop. So I said, okay, sometimes we uh, beg to differ. About a year later, she came on a uh, retreat again. And she said, uh, you're looking terribly unhappy. <sighs> terribly unhappy. <laughs> so I said, what's the problem? What's the matter? She said that she had been married for more than 20 years. And she had assumed that the marriage was in for the long term. Her husband had met a, a woman half, her, half of her age and had left her for the younger woman, and she said she was so angry and disappointed and, and fraught with jealousy and the pain, she said, like a knife cutting through her. Couldn't sleep at night, was terribly unhappy about it. And then I remembered this conversation, <laughs> and I said, we talked together about a year ago about suffering. She said, yes, I remember. I said, but you said suffering's part of life. Why should we want to be free from it? So I said, right now, you're in the midst of this very painful situation, right in the thick of this. I said, what's your major interest? She says, all I want, she says, is this suffering to stop. She said, that's all I want, the suffering to stop. I could have laboured on the point about her philosophizing. So, as I say, sometimes we have these ideas which arise, but in suffering, in its situation, in the contact, or in the loss, that's when the suffering arises. Again, I ask the same question, what is the wisdom to dissolve this suffering? Can we live a life free from it? Can we discover that which is timeless? in which there is no suffering. Finally, with the field of the balance here, of pleasure and pain, it's equally important to be able to acknowledge the field of the pleasant as much as the field of the pain too easy to talk so much about pain and difficulties and problems and the lack of light and all, uh, all of that. And sometimes we, again, the force of conditioning pushing us into a particular contact. One expression of this force of conditioning is why is it that for some people it is easier to talk about their problems than to talk about joy?
easy to talk about the difficulties than to talk about the moments of appreciation. And I say, as I said at the beginning of the talk, we are here to look into the feeling life as much as anything else, to find out that wisdom, that knowing, through the feeling life, and, and therefore, can we, are we free enough to be able to speak about what has touched us in the field of the pleasant, in the field of beauty, in the, in the field of the wonderful sweetnesses of life, <coughs> and to really respond to those and acknowledge those and to acknowledge the difficulties as well of past, present and future. So that our so-called inner world is right out there with life. And to be very watchful in the small groups with Norman and Shadra and I, in the one-to-one -one meetings, in the inquiry or whatever, and particularly in the way you think and feel, is there inside of you a tendency to keep going in one direction in the field of feelings? Is there a tendency inside of you to keep on going in one direction in the field of feelings and not to acknowledge the, the expansion of them? We're here for a truly expansive life. In that expansiveness of life, there is a discovery that is potential. You okay? Donald, you have to check if it's okay. <laughs> so, in the full. subject of the talk was on contact, wasn't it? <laughs> India's lo <laughs> The lovely thing about India, it just shows nothing can be taken for granted. That was the essence of the talk. Thank you very much. <laughs> Let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.